From Given, this is Purposing, the podcast that lifts the lid on how to run a truly purpose-driven business. I'm Becky Willen, and with the help of leaders at some of the world's most recognized brands, I'll be demystifying this often misunderstood topic into clear, actionable advice you can use in your own business. This week, I'm joined by Sally Uren, CEO of Forum for the Future, the not-for-profit organization founded way back in 1996 to help business, governments, and civil society work together to help people and the planet thrive. Through this conversation, you'll hear about how to understand systems thinking and why it's essential for purpose-driven businesses, build the mindsets and capabilities needed for system change, and embrace radical collaboration to solve complex, interconnected challenges. Before I speak with Sally, let's take a look back at her career. A decade or so ago, Sally's commitment to purpose landed her in the firing line of a serious threat from those who stood against her efforts to drive collaboration between businesses, calling this out for breaking UK competition law. Someone actually said to me, if you carry on like this, then you will end up in prison. I've never been so verbally threatened in my life. And the thought of prison wasn't great. I had two really small children at that point. So how did she find herself in the grave position of contemplating a future behind bars? Well, it all started when she was a student, studying the life forms found in Manchester Ship Canal. Out on a boat every Friday, dredging the bottom of the canal and the docks, and it was so polluted. All you would get in the docks were roach, which are kind of the fish that literally eat rubbish. A pretty sorry sight. However, Sally's team came up with a plan to rejuvenate the ecosystem. And after many months of concerted effort, they were able to introduce trout into the clean waterways. That really was amazing because I thought, oh my God, it is possible to clean up a complete mess. Excited by the potential of regeneration, Sally pursued a PhD in environmental science. Her research took her deep into the Borneo wilderness. It was here that she saw huge swathes of rainforest being illegally burnt down to clear land for palm oil plantations. It was at that moment that I thought, you know what, I need to get myself back to the UK and apply what I've learned because we can't allow this to carry on. Back in the UK, Sally worked as an environmental consultant. But that changed when she met Jonathan Porritt, founder of Forum for the Future, a non-profit organisation that works with business and government to accelerate the shift towards a fair and sustainable future. And Forum's ambition was much closer to mine I sort of decided to leave consultancy and was hired in a new role at Forum to build our work with business. Fast forward the clock, and Sally's now been at Forum for 21 years, holding the position of CEO for the last decade. She's overseen a huge change in people's willingness to engage with environmental issues. Seeing sustainability become a word and being part of board-level agendas. Uh, You know, when I started, You'd be lucky if you got a meeting. Then even if you did get a meeting, you'd be lucky if it lasted more than 10 minutes. Sally has faced stiff opposition within these boardrooms, but her determination to create a just and regenerative future has not been derailed, not even by the threat of jail time. At the helm of Forum, she's transforming food and energy systems and reimagining the purpose of business in our society. So Sally, welcome to the show. Thanks, Becky. Good to be here. As this is a podcast that's all about purpose, we always start with asking guests about their organization's purpose. So what's Forum for the Future's purpose and what does that really mean in practice? 
formless purpose is to accelerate the transformation towards, we used to say a sustainable future, but we now talk about a just and regenerative future. And we can unpack that later if you would like. But we've really tried to upweigh our ambition around sustainability and also really center what we're doing equally around both environmental and societal issues. So that's our purpose. It's to accelerate progress towards that future. And we do that by focusing on three what we call transition spaces. So transitions that are underway at the moment that could create, help create that just and regenerative future, but equally could be what we would describe as a shallow transition, might lead us to a slightly better version of what we have today, but really won't allow us to respond to these big urgent challenges. And those transition spaces are food, where we're doing a lot of work on regenerative agriculture, energy, where we're doing a lot of work on the transition to renewable energy. And then the third transition space, we have mixed our apples and pears a little bit, is the purpose of business. So very relevant for the conversation today. How might we as Forum contribute to really shifting the purpose of business so that the purpose of business is much more explicitly geared towards creating positive impact for people and the planet? And so this episode is is all about systems thinking, which is something that's really important and has always been really important to Forum. Can you explain systems thinking in a nutshell? Yeah, in a nutshell, systems thinking is understanding the world as a set of interconnected systems which is the reality of our world. The world is full of nested systems. So a system could be a socioeconomic system, like the food system. It could be a social system, such as education. It could be an ecological system, such as the ocean. It could be an organization. An organization is a system. Really, systems thinking is just accepting that messy, complicated nature of the world around us, which then allows us to understand how to design for system change the emergence of a new way of operating. And really, in terms of where we are at this moment in time, we urgently need systems change. So system thinking, understand the world as a set of interconnected systems, that allows you then to design for system change. Systems are all around us. You've talked about that shift to purpose-driven business as being one of the key priorities for Forum's work. Why is systems thinking and systems change so essential for any organization that has that ambition to be truly purpose-driven? Quite simply, there's no business on a dead planet. If we are serious about delivering purpose, that has to be about reversing all of the trends that we're seeing today, rewiring the system of surrounders so that actually we thrive into the future. I don't really understand actually how it can be possible to be serious about purpose and not be serious about shifting systems because otherwise your purpose is really much more about incrementalism and it's locking in the existing system. So purpose-led businesses are really clear about their ambition to shift the systems in which they operate in order to create the conditions in which they as a business will thrive into the long term, but the people and planets around them will also thrive. I think most business leaders would absolutely recognize that they operate within a system and they're intrinsically kind of part of that and can also influence that system. I think one of the things that is really interesting is, I guess, the extent to which that system up until 
fairly recently has been wired around a set of principles that are so at odds with a just and regenerative future. So really based on those sort of Friedman principles of profit maximization. So I don't know if there's any observation or insight that you want to share about the challenge of sort of rewiring the system as a kind of contextual piece for businesses that are trying to create that shift. A system does what it's set up to do. The current economy, as you've just referenced, is actually set up at the moment to drive short-term profit maximization, to drive value creation for a very, very small percentage of the world's population. And it was conceived in 1945. You know, the Bretton Woods Agreement laid down the principle of the kind of fundamental rights of, of shareholders. We also, having said that, we don't have time to reinvent capitalism. We don't have time to reimagine a completely different global economy. The challenges around our climate crisis, biodiversity loss, structural inequality, which we are the top three, they are urgent. And so what I think we need to be able to do is to demonstrate how is it possible to broaden the goals of the economic system. If the goals of the economic system were to drive prosperity, value creation for the many, if the goal of the system was to preserve and restore nature, and if the goal of the economic system was to deliver social equity for the world's population, what does that system then begin to do? And actually, it is in transition at the moment. If you think about the massive scaling of nature-based solutions, that is saying that the economy can work to protect nature. If we think about standard debt instruments like loans, we now have sustainability bonds where you get a deferential, um, a preferential even interest rate according to how well you might be executing on your climate targets. So I would say to any business leader, the goals of the economy need to broaden to include specific goals around planetary health, people health, and that this transition is underway. Carbon trading is another example of how this economic transition is underway. So as a business leader, I would then be asking, what's my role and my business in this transition? How can I demonstrate new business models? How do I scale circularity? The circular economy is a broadened out version of our current economy. So whilst it seems really audacious to say, let's reimagine the goals of the global economy, it is happening. So let's just be more deliberate about it, shine a light on these new economic models and scale and accelerate them. You work with leading businesses, you know, all over the world, really. So can you give us some examples of businesses that are taking a systems change approach when it comes to purpose-driven business, when it comes to addressing those other shifts that you're working on around food and energy? And I guess really paint a picture of the changes that they've made as a result of that and what impact that that's had. So I'd like to use three examples of organisations that we've worked with for, for many years now. The first is Bupa, known here in the UK for health insurance and private health delivery, but known in places like Spain and Australia for delivering the national health system. So, you know, massive player in the global health space. We know all about Bupa because we help them with the strategy. Oh, of course you do. Yes. Yeah. What they have done is really understood that health is linked to climate. And actually, if we can accelerate mitigation and accelerate adaptation when it comes to climate, radically decarbonize, it will have a health benefit. So that's kind of the first attribute of any sort of systems thinking organization. 
is to understand the interconnectivity of systems and in this case to understand that health and climate are completely connected. Climate health is manifest itself as a public health crisis. And so what Bupa have done, and we've worked with them on this, is they've launched a new strategy. They launched it at the end of last year. And it's got what you would expect. It's got, you know, ambitions to get to net zero. It's got ambitions around innovation. And it's got this third pillar called regenerate. How might they regenerate nature? And for me, that's really exciting because it's really demonstrating that they've made that connection. And it built on work that they've been doing for a while. So they have their Spanish business, Sanitas. And we've been working on tree health in cities for a while now. If we improve tree health in cities, then we not only improve the ability of the trees to absorb particulates and improve air quality, it's good for our mental health. And so what Bupa is beginning to do is to sort of demonstrate these, these wins at that kind of intersection of climate and health. My second example, you know, in a way, everyone just talk about Unilever. Um, but the reason I've picked Unilever is because they've always understood the dependencies of their operations on the systems around them and understood that Unilever on its own cannot affect systemic change. One of the first things they did when they still had a fish business was to set up the Marine Stewardship Council, and they're still doing that. So that's just such a systems play is to say, right, we as Unilever, we're not going to solve the overfishing crisis in our ocean. We're not going to solve the palm oil challenge, but we actually can set up these independent organizations to work together collaboratively across the system and create deep systemic change. So that's kind of another feature of a systems changing organization, understand those dependencies and really understand the need for system-wide collaboration. And then my third example is Target, the US retailer. So mainstream retailer touches millions and millions of Americans' lives every day. And they have a relatively new strategy called Target Forward, which we helped develop with them. We used an early version of our business transformation compass, which is a sort of vision and guidance for a just to return to business. They've understood the need to not just deliver philanthropy in a traditional sense, but actually to really build the resilience and the long-term capacity of the system around them to prosper into the long term. And very specifically, what I mean by that is historically Target have very active philanthropy uh, for Black-owned community groups, particularly Black-owned enterprises. And yeah, that's great, but it's not enough because just simple philanthropy doesn't build resilience. And so what they've been doing more latterly is to work with these community groups, with these enterprise groups to share skills, to share expertise. And then what's really brilliant is Black-owned community enterprises are making goods and services. Target is then giving them pathways to market to get into the store. That's a much more systems play designed to build resilience and the capacity to thrive in the long term in those communities. Yeah, yeah. And I guess, therefore, address those structural inequalities that exist within that kind of economic system. Really interesting. So I guess we've looked at this from an organisational level, but clearly there's a really important role to play for leaders within these organisations. So I guess, is there such a thing as a systems thinking mindset for leaders? And if so, how would you describe it? I'm so glad you asked me that question because absolutely there is. And it's really interesting. We started to talk about Mindset at Forum about five or so years ago, maybe more. At that time, I hadn't really internalized the work of Donella Meadows, who's one of the early systems thinker, 
when she talked about leverage points for systems change, she talked about, you know, it's decades ago, the deepest lever for change is our mindset. It's, you know, our beliefs, our values, the stories we tell ourselves, our narratives. And, you know, I just hadn't really internalized that until I began to realize that at Forum, like you at Given, Becky, created some really ambitious sustainability strategies and then also created blueprints for sexual transformation from cotton industry through to um, shipping. I mean, so many different sectors. And then I was just noticing that nothing was really changing. There were some exceptions um, that then made me realize that actually in much of our work historically, we hadn't paid enough attention to mindset. We hadn't paid enough attention to, was there a real willingness at board level to do things differently? And oftentimes there wasn't. And so these wonderful strategies, organizational strategies, sectoral strategies, they just stayed as lovely words on a document and didn't really make the light of day. It was at that moment I thought, oh, yeah, okay, that's the common differentiator between all of these things that haven't quite delivered. We use the Business Transformation Compass to really deep dive into mindsets. And within the Business Transformation Compass, we talk about four nested mindsets. So the risk mitigation mindset, the do no harm mindset, the do good mindset, which is kind of more aligned with the principles of net positive. But where we really spend a lot of our time unpacking and trying to make accessible is what I would call a just and regenerative mindset. And the reality is these mindsets are nested and we kind of move between them, you know, almost on a daily basis. But our hypothesis is that if every leader, every person in a position of power and authority and leverage in a system were to really embrace a just and regenerative mindset, we would start to make real progress because a just and regenerative mindset is about recognizing the urgency of planetary boundaries. It's recognizing need to create and distribute value differently. It's recognizing that as humans, we are inextricably linked with nature, recognizing our universal access to thrive and underpinned by the desire for systems change. So our mindsets literally could change everything. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And I guess alongside that mindset shift, we both know that there are many sort of more practical skills and capabilities that leaders should be thinking about as well. And Forum runs a really brilliant school of systems change. And so I, I wondered what, having sort of run that for many years, what, what are the top three things or the top few things that you think every leader should be thinking about when it really comes to building that capability for systems change within their organisations? The first thing I would say is leaders that are serious about systems change need to be able to hold multiple timeframes in their mind. We use Bill Sharp's Three Horizons model a lot in our work, but that ability to hold the H1, you know, you've got to keep the lights on, you've got to keep payroll, you, you've got to be solvent, you need to be able to pay people. So to hold the Horizon 1, but simultaneously hold Horizon 3, what is that North Star of just and regenerative in, in our language? What was that big ambition? What, what is that strategy that's going to shift the business and shift the world around it? And then as well as H1, H3, you need to hold H2. Where are the innovation pathways that take us from today to where we need to be? And holding those three timescales is really, really important because it allows you to meet the financial needs of the business but to be plotting towards that North Star. So that would be the first. And it's hard. It's really hard. The second is 
to see yourself as part of a system. By that, I mean to understand who else is in this system. Oh, yeah, it's government, it's civil society, it's nonprofits, it's communities. And to engage in those different perspectives, to really drive systemic change, the whole system ultimately needs to orientate towards the new goals of a system. And then number three, and again, I've learned this the hard way, is yes, work with activating forces. So work with those individuals, those organizations that share your vision for systemic change, but you also need to work with resisting forces because in a system that's shifting, and we see this right now in energy with oil and gas, those resisting forces, if you ignore them, become very, very powerful. And this isn't my quote, I don't know where I heard it, but the closer you get to a system shifting, the harder those forces really begin to resist. And you you saw it with the switching presidents in the US. So it's really important to acknowledge that there are resisting forces and to engage with them, no matter how hard it will be, because otherwise they'll get powerful and they could just derail the whole thing. All of this, I think, has huge implications for the way that organizations set themselves up to actually respond to these huge challenges and, and opportunities. So, and, and I think leading organizations are really starting to think about what that means in terms of governance and organizational design. And I guess who ultimately is responsible for leading this work internally. So, can you offer any insight into? some of the more organizational design or, or kind of governance implications and where you've seen businesses that you work with rethink some of those things to make the organization more effective at being able to respond to all of this. The first point here is to understand that in order to deliver on a sort of system changing ambition, yes, you need them hard governance, so you know, legal, finance, risk, but you also need soft governance, which is about how do we make decisions? Who has power? Who has accountability? How are we showing up when it comes to justice, equity, and diversity? How do we really think about being truly participatory? So sometimes soft governance can derail everything if you don't get it right. Um, and there is that phrase, isn't there, you know, culture can eat strategy for breakfast. And it's really true. What I see in organizations that are serious about driving systemic change, they begin to pay a lot more attention to soft governance, but they will also pay attention to advocacy. And at this moment in time, I think this is an underdeveloped muscle of the private sector, if I'm honest. Private sector can do a lot, but ultimately we're going to need an enabling context in terms of policy, legislation. So government has got an incredible role to play. And, you know, they've kind of been MIA, really, in my view, apart from perhaps the EU doing amazing stuff. I would say that look at your soft governance, but also look at your advocacy and your collaboration. And I think the private sector needs to be a lot louder about what it needs from government to really execute properly on some of these plans, because I see many organizations hitting the limits of their own risk tolerance because there'll be a point where actually forward investment in new technology is too risky because the policy isn't there to enable it to scale. So I think one of the things that we, we've touched on, I guess in, uh, the clue is in the name of Forum, is the role that you play in bringing organisations together to really collaborate in new and kind of radically 
different ways. And I'm curious about sort of how you convince business leaders to work together, sometimes, you know, with their arch rivals, when that goes against so much of the established doctrine in in the commercial world. So how do you make that happen? Quite simply, by underscoring that their challenge is also the challenge of their competitor. And really practically about seven years ago, we convened something called the Beauty and Personal Care Accelerator, where for, I think it was the first time Target and Walmart worked together. At that point in time, both organizations rightly were wanting to drive higher sustainability standards amongst procurement, particularly for beauty and personal care products. So in the US, there isn't the rich legislation that we have here in Europe. And actually, it can be a bit of a wild west in terms of what ingredients go into these products. Both organizations wanted to really upweight the sustainability criteria, but they were going about it very differently. And so if you're supplying into Target Walmart, it was suddenly really very confusing and potentially really expensive. What we did is just really had a simple conversation that said, you're both facing the same challenge. And actually, if you come together, you'll probably save money. You'll get there a lot faster. And so apart from Walmart and, and Target, are there any other real standout examples of that kind of radical collaboration or the unusual suspects working together to, to solve these sort of systemic challenges? One of the projects that I'm really proud of at the moment is in the US. It's called Growing Our Future. And it is a pre-competitive multi-stakeholder collaboration designed to, this is so ambitious, all of our projects are so ambitious, to scale regenerative agriculture in the US. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay. But anyway, we want to play a role in, in doing that. And we've worked really hard to create a neutral space where the really big, powerful actors in the ag system. So the Cargills, um, the brands, the retailers that, you know, have got significant impact and footprint in the food system are talking literally in the same room as BIPOC-led farmer community groups, the Latino Farmers Association, the Intertribal Ag Group. So these, in other words, lesser heard voices that have been missing from the conversation. I think that's so important. I mean, one of the things I wanted to ask you is how you make these sort of collaborations genuinely inclusive and participatory so that stakeholders from across the, the the whole value chain are represented and involved. So it's it's fascinating to hear that that's such an important part of, of this particular collaboration. It's really important. Back to the, the system does need to be in the room and you can create that space by aligning over shared goals. Everybody wants to see the systems change. You know, the food system is brittle and very fragile. It needs redesigning. And then in Growing Our Future, we also ask, you know, practically, how can we support these lesser heard voices to participate? You know, if you're a small farmer coming for a one-day workshop, is a big old deal and, you know, having access to finance is an issue. And so Growing Our Future, it's funded by the Walmart Foundation and we also have additional funding by the VF Foundation, which is specifically designated to support the participation of the smaller, lesser heard organisations. So, you know, we're able to recompense them financially to enable them to participate, which is such an obvious thing to do, but doesn't happen in many cases. Brilliant. It's been such a pleasure having you on Purposing. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Sally. A fascinating conversation with loads of brilliant insights. So if you want to be a systems thinking purpose leader, here are a few things that I've taken from the conversation. 
Systems thinking is an essential part of purpose-driven leadership because we need businesses to positively influence the systems that they're part of, not only within their four walls. Seeing yourself in the system and understanding the perspective brought by different players is a crucial first step. Recognize that you might have the best strategy in the world, but the underlying assumptions and belief systems of leaders in your organization can get in the way of making it happen. Think deeply about the mindsets you need people to embrace if you're going to be successful. Soft governance, as in how you make decisions, collaboration and advocacy are all key ingredients and have been big themes in so many purposing conversations. Building the capacity and the capability to do this is an essential part of the task. If you'd like more practical advice on building a purpose-driven business with brilliant insights from people like Sally, download our Insider's Guide to Purpose at givenagency.com forward slash insider's guide.